Podcast of the Cinema. You're Good. Dave White. Yeah, that's true. I'm Alonzo Duralde. That's false. We're, no, it's true. <laughs> true, false, true. Answer, true. answer, answer. <laughs> we are film critics. We're for the rap. I co-host other podcasts. And yeah, you just swallowed whatever that was. That was we're film critics. The rap. What is? What is that? What did you say? Oh, excuse me, Mr. Perfect Hearing. We are film critics. We both write for the rap. I may be, uh, you know, very, very, very uh, punk rock and unable to hear anything anymore. Mm, but you know when I'm mumbling. And I may be <laughs> the author of the slow grumble on this podcast. <laughs> but I are. Articulate oh, my words. How nice for you. Properly for the benefit of the listener. <clears throat> we are film critics. <laughs> we write for the rap. Yes. I co host other podcasts. What? And we are what, espoused. What country, what country and uh, century are you from right now? I'm just, I'm, I'm. I'm I'm delivering to the mezzanine. Uh, using my diaphragm. Okay, you gotta. All right, just <laughs> quit it. Fine. Welcome to the middle of 2022. Everything is terrible. You have, uh, unprovoked. Ain't nobody asked you, but you posted on Twitter your top five films of the year so far. I did. Name them. Uh, RRR. Yep. Everything Everywhere. All at once. All at once. Yes. Um, Benediction. Uh, The Northman. Yes. And I forgot what the other one was. Why? Because <laughs> you put me on the spot. What? <laughs> Here you are. Before we even turn on the mic, you're like, Hey, tell me your top five of the well, year so far. Because I didn't Because I'm going to talk about mine. I didn't know we were, you were going to go from on, the jump. Posted mine on Twitter just Sorry. now. And and you should have yours. And I was like, I, I, okay, lie. I, don't, have I, I never seen, said you Have had, I seen you should, five movies I did not say this you year? should have yours. I said, if you have, if you want to, we can talk about it. Uh, uh, no Off pressure. the top of my head. My number three was Hit, hit, the, hit road. the Road. Okay. That's what I forgot. <laughs> Off the top of my head, Hit the Road. Yes. Give me a minute to... Uh, see, go back in the podcasts and look at what we you, even you talked come about. Come back to us with that later. It's fine. I don't remember anything. Oh my god! You, so you so you made this difficult for me, and you're not even ready to do it yourself. No, I'm not ready so to do it yourself. You... you just asked me like two seconds ago. Well, you but he didn't force you to include it in the show prep. Now you just steered us right into this ravine, and our we're, our back tires spinning I, in the mud. I felt, well played. I felt like uh, throwing you under the mud. Great, thanks. <laughs> and Apollo ten and a half will probably be my sixth. That was nice. Apollo ten and a half is nice. Yeah. Um. 
Yeah, I, I can't. I have to go look it all up. That's... I'm very busy today. I'm thinking about Irv's mm-hmm. Burgers. Yes, grand reopening. La, Los Angeles, particularly West Hollywood. Institution. Institution. Irv's Burgers had been closed for a while. They went out of business for a while. Mm-hmm. Greedy landlords. Yes. Um, now they're back. Yeah. New ownership. Well, not, I mean, yes. Yes, new ownership. New ownership, but same old Sonia. Thank goodness. Our beloved Sonia. Yes. Uh, will be there. The face and heart of the company. That's correct. Um, so that's dinner. <laughs> All sorted out tonight. In other good news, it looks like the uh, the arc light is coming back. The Cinerama Dome. Oh, really? Yeah. The uh, the the developers, whoever whoever owns the did building, did Tarantino buy this one too? He did not. Uh, Sorry, some, I'm not. Some, I'm not. You're not boring. I, oh, huh. it's that time of the afternoon. Some consortium that owns it uh, just applied for like food and liquor licenses. All right, but here's the thing. All right, if they're gonna have food. At the new improved arc light, mm-hmm. it needs to be the same old food that they had before because that's well, what I need. Yeah, when I go there, well, you I need the the sausage baguette. You don't need a license for that. This, the, this is for that the watermelon barbecue sauce. For the this is for the bar and the restaurant and the lobby. I like that caramel corn. Yes, I like that they sell aquapana mm-hmm. as water. Aquapana is best. Aquapana is best. I like that. I like those things, and I don't want any changes did because you, I hate changes. Did you see the Americana at Brand uh, uh, thing about this? No. <laughs> it's basically the end of Avengers where, like, you know, the, the wormhole opens up and Black Panther and everybody comes back. Yes. And it's like each each Avenger that steps out of it is labeled something like caramel corn or <laughs> surprise <laughs> Q&A. <laughs> And Thanos is movie theaters that show too many trailers. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And then when the hordes of Wakandans come out, it says the line to get out of the parking lot. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah. The, um, that's why when you go to the arc light, linger. Linger afterward. And have a chat with your friend. You know, uh, go to... Well, you can't go to Stella Barra anymore to get a cookie because they closed too. Oh no! Oh yes. Um, the veggie grills. Pandemic. There? The pandemic just destroyed everything. Oh, I know. Um, the uh, all the businesses in that area that you used to like, Ugh. they're all gone. Um, so the uh, yeah, you linger. You you hang out. You you chat. You the veggie grill survived. I don't know how, but they did. Um, they have, and they have cookies at Veggie Grill. They're nice. Yeah. They have nice veggie vegetable cookies at Veggie mm. Grill. Um, so no, I'm very excited that it's going to come back because I loved uh, loved going there. I especially loved going there to see really, really, really staggeringly large tentpole movies. Yes, because they would have round the clock screenings. Right. And I mean round the clock. Oh, yeah, yeah. And so I saw a... The Hateful Eight, right? I saw a... I saw the Hateful Eight at 8 o'clock in the morning. I saw... Um, that is hateful. I saw one of the Star Warses at 
6 a.m. Because, <laughs> um, you know, I, are you, you new? Up? <laughs> are you new to this show? I get up really early, just naturally on my own. Um, and um, and the thought of being, oh, you mean I can get up, have a cup of tea, and go see Star Wars in a nearly empty theater, whatever the Star Wars was, the Force Awakens? Was that the first new one? Was that yes. what it was called? Okay, yeah. Don't ask me to remember the names of Star Wars movies. <laughs> There's Star Wars, Empire Strikes Back, Re- Re- Return of the Jedi, those other three, and then the new ones. <laughs> those are their names. And the other other three. The other other three. <laughs> um, the, uh, yeah, I got up at five. It's like, it takes 15 minutes to drive there, especially at 5.30 in the morning. 5.30 like in the morning. Because there's nobody on the roads. And what a treat <laughs> to see a 6 a.m. movie. And the person introducing the film is like, why are you here at this time? <laughs> like, it's me and, like, four other people. Because <laughs> you, 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 I, I, I know how it worked. Like, the midnight, 1 a.m., 2 a.m., 3 a.m. screenings were probably like, Full of night owls. And raucous. Yeah. Um, but then you get into the like four, five, and six, and it's people who are like, I don't know what time is. Exactly. I, like, I just go anywhere at any time I, to do I anything. I work at a casino. <laughs> so. <laughs> but my brain is awake. Sure. Fu- fully. Like, it's four o'clock in the afternoon right now. I'm, and you're on fumes. I'm through for the day. Like, <laughs> I, I, I shouldn't even be recording a podcast right now. I'll be irresponsibly speaking the entire hour. Or operating heavy machinery. Um, but so, yeah, maybe they'll do that again. Maybe they'll have round-the-clockers. Maybe. But, yeah, I, I would be very excited to have them be open again. I miss them. Yeah. Um, but we uh, have... Uh, current cinema to discuss we do here on this particular podcast would you like to know what we're going to talk about oh please I have it for you we're going to discuss Elvis yes we're going to discuss the black phone Mm. we're going to discuss Brian and Charles which you saw and I did not we're going to discuss Flux Gourmet which you also saw and I did it is one of those weeks where I've seen everything, and Alonzo's only seen two things. It's mm. usually the opposite. True. Because uh, quite often, the big movies... <sighs> like, <laughs> Which we both did why? for Minions this week. Why like, bother? Eh. Now, you know what? I'm down for Minions. When is that going to hit streaming? <laughs> That's when I'll go. I don't want to be now. I don't want to be near any dumb little yelling children. Right, yes, we'll watch it on Peacock and get back to you. Right. Um, <laughs> And I've seen Mr. Malcolm's list, but you're going to be you're going to catch up with that. Yeah, I'm going to catch up with that, and then we'll 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 get to that next week. Um, But the uh, do you know what that title makes you think of every time I hear it? Mr. Megorium's Wonder Emporium. (laughs) No, but I'm going to add that to the list now. Schindler's List. Also, no. Um, In the Grey Gardens musical, Uh, when Edie has her revolutionary costume of the day song. Okay. then you can be with Cousin Lee on Mr. Blackwell's list. Oh. The full-length velvet glove hides the fist. Okay. Would you like to explain who Mr. Blackwell was to the <laughs> listeners? Because I fear 
This is a cultural reference that is it long. Is, it uh, is quite possible. Long gone. Mr. Blackwell was some kind of fashion journalist. Was he a designer? Uh, you'd ha- I'd have to go do a little homework. He was basically famous. He for, was mean. He was yeah. He, he was, was mean. He was famous he was for gay being, and mean. He was famous for being <laughs> that kind of queen. And once a year, he would put out a best dressed list and a worst dressed. But list. it wasn't just a list of worst dressed people. It was it was accompanied with like really like catty really, takedowns, really mean, mean things. You talk about you know people talk about critics being mean. If you've ever seen that Simpsons episode where Bart is watching some guy on TV talking about Memo to Goldie Hawn, cheerleader practice is over. <laughs> That's Mr. Blackwell. Um, I don't know who liked being on the best or worst. Well, no one. I don't think anybody applied for it. Oh, they didn't uh, it, petition? It, it, it was like the Razzies. You just sort of found yourself there, you know. Ugh. That's another one. Mm. The Razzies. What a useless thing that is. Nonsense. Pretty much. And and, and not that I'm, you know, anti-negativity, but come on. Like, oh, I'm fully negative a, most of the time. Make a little effort. Uh, okay. You know what? I want to start with Brian and Charles. Okay. Because it is the one that I bet very few people <laughs> have even heard of or seen. Um, probably more than Flux Gourmet. It's being released by Focus. <laughs> Oh, really? Yeah. Well, it came and went in Los Angeles in the space of one week. Really? It's already gone? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Well, it'll be streaming in like two or three weeks. Two or three minutes, probably. <laughs> uh, okay. So, um, David Earle and Chris Hayward. These guys are new to me. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're British. The film is Welsh. Set in Wales, anyway. Shot there as well. Are uh, they a duo? That is my understanding of how they, of how their careers go. Like yeah. they are. So they're like Mitchell and Webb, like a or team. Uh, and if someone is in Wales and or the UK and wants to correct me, please do please because do. I don't know enough about these guys yet to know their history. Uh, but this is their film, uh, uh, written by them. Uh, starring them. Brian is a Welsh man who lives uh, alone. He is eccentric. He is lonely. And he just enjoys building, you know, contraptions. They tend not to work. But that doesn't stop him. He likes doing it anyway. He's a regular Caractacus Potts. He gets, yes, <laughs> thank you. He gets the idea to uh, build a robot to be his friend mm. uh, with artificial intelligence. How he does this, he just does it. You are not expected to believe in the reality of any of this, period. Or as they say in the UK, full stop. <laughs> All right. So, Charles is the robot. Charles is a gigantic box <laughs> with a sweater on and a, 
a shirt that has been fashioned out of many shirts to cover the gigantic box. It's like a washing machine, right? Little t- yeah, it's like a washing machine box with like a little tiny plastic head. Um, and he comes to life like Frosty the Snowman. <laughs> and he and Brian begin a wonderful friendship. And the ongoing, the funniest ongoing gag in the movie is how Charles says Brian's name. Brad. Brad. <laughs> Take me to the village, Brad. <laughs> and it just makes me giggle. It's like it's making you giggle. And you didn't even hear me, you didn't even hear the guy really doing it. Um, there's a lonely woman in the town who takes care of her mother. She and Brian have awkward interactions, but they are fond of each other. There's also a village bully who just likes to go around making people's lives miserable and intimidating them. And he's, you know, a middle-aged bully who never grew out of being a bully. Gotcha. He just kept on bullying because it's (laughs) so much fun to smash people in the face or scare them. Hey, love what you do. You'll never work a day in your life. Right. The non-events of the film (laughs) that are all about, you know, this relationship being built and Charles's increasing sort of understanding of the world around him and his desire to see more and do more, you know, the way they would tell you that AI is going to just, you know, develop its own... Like her. System of, of, you know, being. Yeah. Leads to a confrontation with people in town, leads to confrontations with the bully. And then everything works out in the end and everyone's sweet and happy and good. And it's adorable. Hmm. Is it precious? Oh, probably. <laughs> okay. It hit me in the right mood. All right. Because you know I hate that. Yeah. And yet I liked this. <laughs> um, I think what I like the most about it is the way that they uh, inhabit the robot. You know, the way they create this thing that talks and can have a conversation with you and has feelings and wants to see the world. And, um, you know, the ending is completely ridiculous, (laughs) but like it is sweet. And maybe I haven't had enough, I don't know, sweet lately, but it's very sweet. You tend to run the other way from sweet. So this is obviously a specific brand. I like bitter. Maybe this is <laughs> bittersweet. This is treacle, perhaps. It might be. <laughs> no, it's just it's 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 kind-hearted and uh, lovely. Hmm. Sorry to disappoint <laughs> anyone who's seen it and thinks it's trash <laughs> because it is very sweet. Um, uh, maybe it, maybe it just caught me on the right day. I'll I'll look at it when it's streaming. Yeah. I mean, I I recommend. I think. Yeah, I do. <laughs> okay. It's an adorable movie about a, a talking <laughs> robot in a funny sweater. 
That's all. Uh, let's discuss Elvis. Mm. Elvis. Elvis. Go on. Tell the story oh. of Elvis, please. Well, um, this is Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Oh, yes. We left that part out. <laughs> and nobody else's Elvis, just Baz Luhrmann's Elvis. Um and it's all being told to us by Colonel Tom Parker. <laughs> yes. Who is both the narrator and the villain of the film. Hey, yeah. Uh, played by Tom Hanks in... Doing uh, a very... Oh, an unusual accent. A very eccentric performance. Doing this Dutch accent, he is swathed in prosthetics and, and um, wigs and, you know, things... Yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, I don't know. Yeah, you know, we talked about it on Maximum Film. Andrea was like, "Have you never seen a villain in a Baz Luhrmann movie?" It's like, well, yes, but <laughs> like Richard Roxborough in in you know Moulin Rouge is not wearing like a fake bald cap and a fat suit. You yes, know? but he is twirling his mustache as hard as he, he is can. twirling his mustache. Yeah, so yeah. That, that's fine. But there's just so many. And he plays Elvis's father in this. He movie, does, which it took me like three scenes to get to before I was like, <laughs> oh, "Oh, Moulin Rouge mustache dude." Yes, <laughs> but like you know, it's not like he. But he doesn't twirl four mustaches. One of them that grows out of his back. You right. know, which is kind of what Tom Hanks is asked to do. <laughs> here um but it is the story of the rise of of elvis played by an actor named austin butler whom with whom i was not familiar and that probably helps here because yeah i didn't know i just was i just saw him as elvis he's been around he's, he's been, a disney kid he was a disney kid he's yeah. a lifer he's been doing this since he was you know yay high yeah um you know and does a pretty fair job i think of sort of contextualizing why Elvis was unique and important in that here's this kid who grew up poor in the South and was exposed to a lot of black music early on in an era when that was still referred to as, you know, race music. That's what white people called it. Anyway. Yeah, that's what white, yeah. what white people called it. Uh, so, you know, he's exposed to the blues, he's exposed to the gospel music, and he, you know, delivers it in a style that is very sellable to white audiences yes but in a way that is still so that is still black enough to upset you know the the more conservative let's talk about that for just a moment if you are unfamiliar with the uh the anti-rock and roll fervor yes of the 1950s among white people it was because of racism. It was the CRT <laughs> of its day. Uh-huh. When Billy Graham and Pat Boone and all those dudes would warn against the frenzy of rock and roll, what they were saying was, be scared of black people. Yes. That's all that was. And if you are... If you heard about it, if, if you grew up in the evangelical church and they were against rock and roll, it has its roots... That attitude has its roots in racism. Yes. And over the years, they honed that attitude to be, no, 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 it's not because we're racist. No, it is. It's because yeah. you're racist. And, yeah. and and for people who think that like that Elvis is this villain who stole black music. Um, I mean, he was the 
he was he was one of the original cultural appropriators. Oh well, but, no question. But and, and Eminem he, sings the closing song here, not coincidentally, just to, just to drive that point home. But he uh, came from a place of respect. He came he came by it organically yeah. in in his way. Yeah. Because you know you grow up white and rural in the South, and you are musically interested. You're going to go seek out the music that white people are telling you not to like, right. that you shouldn't hear, um, which is what he did. You know, I, I would say a much greater crime against, you know, the creators of that original sound would be Pat Boone's cover oh, of Tutti sure. Fruity. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Uh, anytime, you know, uh, a source material is uh, not merely translated, but diluted in a way that is, uh, you know, sanding off anything that might bother people. Right. That's the problem. Yeah. Yeah. Elvis was dangerous. Well, you know. <laughs> yeah, because he was, he was, you know, uh, brazenly sexual in a very natural way that yeah. upset all the parents and all the preachers. Yeah. And the politicians. Yeah. So, yeah. So Colonel Tom is, you know, uh, kind of a carny huckster dude. He's handling this singer named Hank Snow. Um, and then dude named Hank Snow, country legend Hank Sorry. Snow. Colonel Tom Parker Get was handling right. country legend yeah. Hank Snow. Please. Uh, well, he comes off as kind of a dork in this movie. Yeah, he was a dork. I'm sure he was important and great. Uh, anyway, sees Elvis perform for the first time and sees the frenzy that his performance creates among young women. Um, mm-hmm. In a way that I think really encapsulates the that Central Wilson thing that you like to talk about all the time of like why do the girls scream about when they see, you know, One Direction or BTS she, or Justin Cent- Bieber or whatever. Cultural critic Central Wilson posited this idea that, you know, and here's the idea. The equation is this. I see Tom Cruise. I desire Tom Cruise. I want to do it with Tom Cruise. Oh my God, I'm never going to do it with Tom Cruise. I begin screaming. <laughs> That's basically yeah. it. Yeah. So you, you see all of that go down. And yeah. uh, so Colonel Tom, you know, realizes this guy is going to be his meal ticket and gloms right on. Um, so, you know, you see, uh, again, cultural watchdogs losing their minds over Elvis. He gets drafted. He marries, you know, Priscilla, Priscilla, comes back, makes a lot of really terrible movies, does the 68 comeback special. Um, and then goes to Las Vegas. And then it goes to Las Vegas, and it all and goes downhill from there. <laughs> little by little, yeah. Because yeah. he feels he feels trapped. And and, and, and the, the, the story and, is he's always been trapped by Parker. Yeah, the movie presents that he is, in fact, trapped. Parker, the, the, Parker guides, doesn't just guide his career, Parker controls his career yeah. from the beginning until the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, like the, the, the way the movie posits it, Parker couldn't travel internationally because he didn't have a passport because he was, he had no identity basically. Right. Also, He's he a was a man with no country, a, a man of no, a citizen of no country. Exactly. Think, is yeah. what they described him as. And like, he was, how does, how does that work? <laughs> He was a compulsive gambler, and he owed all this money to the casinos, so if he could deliver Elvis, they would waive his debts. You know, all this kind of stuff is going on. Um, I would recommend, if you've seen the movie and you want to know, like, what's real and what isn't, uh, Steve Pond wrote a really good piece for The Wrap, where he kind of, 
lays it all down. And actually, quite a few things as presented in the film are true, are factual. Yeah. The biggest stretch is probably the idea that that they were making the '68 comeback special while Colonel Tom thought they were doing a Christmas special. Right. To the to the extent that like a Christmas special set is built yes. and not used. They uh, <laughs> that 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 weird storyline that whole sequence has a basis in truth, but it didn't go down the way you see it in the movie. No. At all. Um, but what is 100% accurate and faithful is how. Elvis uh, recreated Britney Spears's toxic <laughs> video, including sampling the song "Toxic" all the way back in 1960. He was a visionary. Two, yeah, he could see things coming. I, yeah, to you know. the film's credit, that's about the only moment that they pull that kind of shenanigans. Oh like, no, it's not. There, there are remix versions of Elvis songs. There are other songs that are sampled and dropped into things. There is, uh, there's a, there's a, there's a, a, a couple tracks where they, they, they add, uh, they add rappers to the, to the okay, mix of stuff. Yes. It's, it isn't as Moulin Rouge as Moulin whole Rouge. Hog is. Moulin Rouge as you might think it would be, but he drops it in. I won't say Lightly or delicately, because nothing Baz Luhrmann does is lightly or delicate. Not in his vocabulary. Um, but I will say, it's always done with a really sort of gleeful wink to the audience, like, chick, look at what we're doing. You know, like, and I don't know why that makes me happy. It always makes me happy. I think Baz Luhrmann is a maniac. Um, and in the good way. <laughs> I have, I've had the pleasure of speaking to him, uh, I interviewed him 20 years ago. Wow, yeah. Two days after the Moulin Rouge Oscar nominations. And he's a wild man, and I think he's only become wilder <laughs> as he gets older. Um, and so, like, the, the, uh, the thing about him is that what's going on in his head that's the movie. Mm. He's not embellishing stuff because he thinks it would be uh, commercial, fun or commercial. He's a true believer in Baz Luhrmann. And wh why the studio system in the United States allows him to do <laughs> anything other than the fact that Moulin Rouge made a bunch of money. Yeah. Um, but probably so did Greg Gatsby. Did it? I, I don't it, remember I if it, it did have. or if it didn't. Um, he's like, it's, it's, I, I've been telling people, Baz Luhrmann's Elvis is like Ken Russell's Tchaikovsky. He's the opposite of a, a team player, I think, where he goes to the studio and they give him notes and he goes, oh, yes, I'll get right to work on this. <laughs> like, I think he goes to the studio and they give him notes and he thinks, I don't, you Go away. Let me finish. <laughs> I, you know, I think that he shows up with his own team. Yeah, because so much of it is him and Catherine Martin. Yeah, at the core of it, and then they have the people that they work with over and over and over again. Yeah, and so I'm sure at some point they're like, "We're bringing all of this to the table. You write the check, and you back Sit off. Sit back, and we'll deliver this thing that will exactly <laughs> confuse you, maybe." <laughs>
But you'll premiere it at Cannes anyway, you know. Right. Uh, yeah. So I, I, I don't, I don't think he gets notes. I think, I think uh, it's right. understood that that's just not happening. Uh, maybe, maybe not. Maybe not. And at least right now, he's at a place in his career where he could probably demand that. I think, I think he is one of the few uh, filmmakers who, again, who works in the major studio system, who probably just gets his way all the time, yeah. and his way is insanity. This movie, if you're expecting a biopic in the way that you think about biopics, you are not getting that. Yeah. You are getting an extravagant, glittery, fantastical experience that is grounded in facts, but displayed with a kind of like frenzied opulence that will probably bother some people. Well, like if you um, thought if you thought that Rocket Man was too weird a way to tell a life story, buckle the, up. The thing about Rocket Man <laughs> is that it was ultimately a very 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 conventional film. It is. It has some set decoration that and some production numbers that are fun to look at. Um it and might... I will to this day tell you that I think that many sequences in Rocket Man are delightful. And, and sure. immensely pleasurable, uh, but that's but a movie they, that movie learned what it knows from Baz Luhrmann. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. But I'm just saying, like that's a movie that plays fast and loose, where you have like young Elton John bursting out into a big number of, one yeah. of his later songs. Yeah. Like it's not it's not Bohemian Rhapsody. It's at least playing around with the yeah. the the biopic genre a little bit. But I'm saying, like if you thought if you thought that what Rocket Man does is beyond the pale, like this this is a whole yeah. ten steps ahead of that. Right. Uh, so, again, we didn't know anything about this Austin Butler character. Yeah. He's really great. He's, this is, this is the <laughs> He's best. He's really great. In this, this is movie. the best performance I have seen as somebody playing a, a charismatic, vibrant, exciting rock star in a movie since Chadwick Boseman in Get, Get On Up. Yeah, um, I agree. Uh, it, it's, I, I could watch him recreate what Elvis's opening night in Vegas was like the whole concert mm -hmm. and I would be on the edge of my seat. Yeah. It was it's it's he is thrilling and the movie to me while it is bananas is never boring. It did not feel like 2 hours and 40 minutes. No, it did not. zipped right by. I admired the energy of it and frankly I'm always complaining about how much I hate biopics. Yeah. So like yes, hire the Baz Luhrmanns of the world to make them if you must. Yeah. And and do them other ways. Yeah. It is a film that is deeply in love with Elvis. Oh, sure. And therefore treads lightly on the unsavory aspects of uh, his existence, decisions he made, you know, the tragedy of his, of his drug addiction. Mm. It, it, it gives those things to you. Yeah. But it, 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 it never comes down against him well it also falls in the category of there are living people who control the estates who have a lot of say as to what is and isn't in this there movie. is that priscilla presley uh still holds the keys to the kingdom exactly That's true. i did quite like olivia de jong as oh yeah as, and i did not recognize her she is the female lead from better watch out oh yeah didn't recognize her 
Well, there's a there's a lot of Australian oh, yeah. uh, people in this. <laughs> Dakari Alexander and um, Anthony Lapalia, who you can blink and miss. Wait, who as what? Uh, I don't know. He's in the movie. <laughs> uh, Luke Bracy from yeah. from Holiday. David Wenham and the plays Hank Snow. Oh, okay. Oh, yeah. and and uh, as as Hank Snow Jr., Cody Smith McPhee. Yeah, <laughs> who just has a face that looks like he does not belong in this century. <laughs> you see him in Power of the Dog. You see him in this. And you're like, yes, that he's, is what a person in the 20s or the 50s looked like. He's old timey. Not of the now. He's got an old timey countenance. Mm. <laughs> so, um, this is a thoroughly enjoyable film. Yeah. And is it good? I don't know. Blink and you'll miss the snippet of uh, Backstreet Boys song that pops up in the in the middle of the middle of the movie. Yeah, see, I I don't know the Toxic video, and I I I, I guess the the hip hop stuff I caught, but a uh, lot of this I'm sure went that stuff went over my head because it felt you know it didn't clang like it wouldn't be part of what an Elvis movie would look like. Gary, friend and neighbor Gary Cotty mm-hmm. accompanied me to the screening. Uh, that we were at and when the toxic part happened he leaned in and he said another check for Kathy Dennis (laughs) (laughs) good for her yeah always (laughs) I does Butler sing in this movie is that it is my understanding that this is all Elvis performance okay I wasn't sure I could be wrong that, that, that may well be I was case. under the impression that he was lip-syncing okay. Elvis' song. There is nonetheless a moment towards the end of the film where Lorman gives himself a little flex. <laughs> like That's not, that's not like <laughs> the entirety of what he does. Yes. Um, but where it, 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 it is like, it's Elvis's last Vegas performance and it's like, you know, sweaty, old, tired Elvis. Yeah. Old, he was 42. Um, and... You it, the scene starts out with Austin Butler singing this song, and then the camera cuts to something else, and it comes back, and it's actual footage of Elvis, and it is indistinguishable. In fact, in the actual Elvis footage, he's sort of in profile, and you think it's still Butler, and it's not until he turns to the camera they're like, "Oh, oh, that's we're that's, we're looking at real Elvis. This now. is actually Elvis that we're looking so at." So that yep. is, you know, that's that's how you know your your performance works if, if you mm-hmm. can if you can integrate it with the real thing and it's it's seamless so um yeah check it out yeah. if you you know and if, if you want if you're if you are feeling like going back to movies is a thing that that you are comfortable doing uh this is a this is a movie you want to listen to in a theater mm-hmm yeah agree uh, the black phone. Yes, the black phone. The black phone is a uh, horror <laughs> movie from uh, I'm Scott Derrickson. Up. Scott Derrickson, who did Doctor Strange, but before that was best known. And oh, and he, and that terrible uh, Day the Earth Stood Still remake. But before that, did like Sinister and some other kind of more. This is a return to form of his kind of early Blumhousey horror stuff. Adapting a short story by Joe Hill. Yes. Uh, Joe Hill, I learned after the movie was over, is the son of a man named Stephen King. Yes, he is. Yeah. This is a movie in which a 13-year-old boy in the 1970s mm-hmm. is abducted by a child killer. Played by Ethan Hawke. 
who has plagued the neighborhood. They call him the Grabber. He drives around in a black van, wears a mask, grabs the kids, puts them in a soundproof basement, murders them. He kidnaps this boy, puts him in the soundproof basement, but the boy doesn't fight back at first, and that makes the grabber angry, makes him impatient, makes him want to provoke the kid to fight back, because when the kid fights back, historically, in his career as a child murderer, when the kid fights back, that's when he, in his child murderer mind, is therefore licensed to destroy the child. Yeah. It is a extremely frightening premise. He has no motive. He's just a deranged child murderer. Yeah. In the soundproof basement is a black landline phone on the wall. Obviously, it's a landline phone. It's the 1970s. It's been, its cord has been cut. It's disconnected. But the phone rings, and the boy can hear it. And the grabber knows that the phone rings, but doesn't talk about why or how. Does he know? He tells the kid the phone doesn't work. Yeah. Is he aware that the kid is getting calls on them? I, my memory is that he is, but I could be wrong about that. Don't, don't trust me on that plot detail, but I seem to remember him saying, oh, yes, I, I hear it ringing or something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. In any case, the kid hears the phone ringing, and that's all that matters. Yes. He picks up the phone. He hears the voices of the kids who have been previously abducted and killed. And they are trying to tell him ways to get out. Trying to tell him ways to outsmart the killer. Offering advice. So while that's happening, meanwhile, the kid's little sister is having visions. She has dreams. And in her dreams, she is seeing what happened to the other kids. And now she is seeing what's happening to her brother. She's seeing the house where it's happening. She goes to the police. They don't believe her. Um, she has details that the cops have not given out to the public. Yeah, the police come to her first. They because... come to her first, and they're like, how do you know these things? And she's like, I'm having dreams. <laughs> Someone please believe me. Their awful alcoholic father... Uh, That's another part of the mix. Uh, does not want to hear about these dreams because... The uh, mother had them too. The, yeah, the mother had them too, and this led to trouble somehow. The alcoholic father is played by... Jeremy Davis, Davis, which is pretty much all you need to know about what he's like. Um, it is a film that is, first of all, it is a really, really effective horror movie. Mm. Um, typical things like jump scares uh, are, they, they do exist, but they are employed very, very skillfully. Uh, and, you know, we've had this conversation many times on this podcast I can feel the jump scare coming. I know when the jump scare is coming. Jump scares don't get me. And these got me. Yeah. Like, 
the first time that happens, I went, in the, in the theater. I'm not embarrassed by that uh, because other people in the audience reacted the same way. Um, it employs the jump scares very effectively, but more than that, and even and they're not even important in terms of what the film is doing. There is such a, a sense of panic and dread and genuine fear. Uh, you have a, a, a killer that's unknowable, but is standing right in front of you. And you don't know why he's doing things. Uh, Ethan Hawke as the killer is truly frightening and is framed and shot in such a way as to sort of amplify that menace and fear and, you know, terror. The performances of the kids oh, so are good. truly, truly impressive. Mason uh, Thames and Madeline McGraw. Yeah, uh, Mason Thames or Thames, I don't know how you say his last name, uh, is the boy. Madeline McGraw plays the little sister. He's great. She is particularly she's exceptional affecting, um, and 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 it's she to me is the key to what the movie is really about. Because as you said, they have an alcoholic father who is abusive. Yes, he is physically abusive, and you and the movie is quite explicit. Yeah, about that physical abuse. Uh, so if that is a I'm saying that as a content warning. Like, yeah. if that's something that you can't handle seeing, maybe this isn't the movie for you. Yeah. Um, I was shocked because it happens early in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, and these kids are being, are being beaten by the father. And they are not behaving stoically like you often see, uh, you know, characters, child characters who are abused by adults in films. They are screaming and crying in a way that is make you... I sat there in the screen going, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, why? Why am I watching this? And it is meaningful yes, for the story. Uh, because even though this is a, a movie about a literal child murderer who is, you know, who has genuinely taken a child and put them in a basement. The abusive father character and the abusive kids at school as as well. The the kid is bullied. The boy is bullied by kids at school and and doesn't... beaten to a pulp. And so is the daughter. So is the little sister at at one point. And, And you realize that this is a film about how children navigate abusive situations yeah. in, their, in their lives no matter where they come from if they come from peers if they come from parents if they come from in the rare quite often in movies only situation of a stranger who abducts you yeah um and so it's tough and it's frightening it's really well made it's very good but it's not for everybody it is it's it's a it's a hard R-rated movie about children in peril and children being harmed uh, that ultimately, again, I think is about something meaningful because horror movies are always about something else. Yes. And that's what this is about. And and a, a, a takeaway I was not expecting from this movie, uh, the 70s detail 
is mm-hmm. really sharp. The, the, lo- in, the 70s period detail is, is a very accurate, uh, you know, sort of gritty looking yeah. uh, situation. Yeah, it's, it's the filmmaking is, is part of the mood, it's part of the tone. The look of it all makes you feel like you're in a place where there's no escape. Yeah. You're in a little town with terrible people and there's no escape. And there's no escape in your own house. There's no escape in the house of the killer. There's no escape at school. It is a, it is a, it is a kid nightmare come to life. Yeah, it's, uh, it's intense. Um, it, it's not my jam. <laughs> you know, these are not, uh, I'm not a horror fan. But uh, I, I, I respect that this is a very well-made horror movie. What I've said in the past about horror movies is that I think they should make you feel bad. Well. Even if they have uh, happy resolutions, uh-huh. uh, I, don't need everything to, I don't need everything to end in a horror movie on a note of, of, despair. Ho- of despair and horror. Although the ones that do are really, like, taking you there. Uh, I won't give away how this ends, um, but I will say that, that throughout... Most of the running time, it is a feel bad movie. <laughs> yes, <laughs> and and if you're uh, up for that, okay. If you're not, it is perfectly understandable. Uh, you know, it, it's weird to me that like there are so many trappings of Stephen King's work in. I haven't read Joe Hill's story, but in this film, you know, the way the bullies at school represented the abusive father, the, you know, the, right. the child with visions, like so much of that feels like it's right out of that playbook, which, you know, uh, the other Joe Hill adaptations that I've seen, I, I tried watching the show of Nosferatu and it, it, it kind of, I got sick of it pretty quickly. Um, but I do kind of like, did you ever see Horns? And I've still not seen Horns. I, yeah. it, it has... People are very mixed about it. I kind of like horns. <laughs> I should watch it eventually. Yeah. Yeah. All right. I saw Flux Gourmet. Yes, you did. It is the new film from Peter Strickland. Who's that? Peter Strickland is a <laughs> British filmmaker whose body of work is u- uniquely weird. <laughs> um, he... Uh, before this, uh, he made In Fabric, which we talked about when yes. it came out, the film about the haunted dress that murders people. Before that, he made The Duke of Burgundy, which is uh, about an obsessive lesbian BDSM relationship. Uh, before that, he made Burberian Sound Studio, which is about a sound technician, a Foley artist, in the 1970s who goes to Italy to work on a giallo film and whose experience while working on the film becomes a giallo film. It's Toby Jones, right? It's Toby Jones. Uh, Before that, he made a film called Cattle and Varga, which is sort of like a rural revenge, slowest burn, deeply despairing, uh, bitter ending bummer <laughs> all of his films are great <laughs> from the most deliriously weird like in fabric and 
and this one, and this one, Flux Gourmet, all the way to the beginning. Um, okay, so the premise of Flux Gourmet is that there is a place called the Sonic Catering Institute. And it is a foundation run by a rich woman, uh, played by uh, Gwendolyn Christie. Uh, everyone I mentioned in the cast has been in one or more Peter Strickland films. Besides her, right? Besides her, yeah. Uh, the, uh, the Sonic Catering Institute is devoted to, and this is a quote from the movie, the artistic pursuit of alimentary and culinary salvation to be done as public performance. So, art collectives who work with food and sound are given residencies at the Sonic Catering Institute. They are meant to develop performances, develop names for their team while they're there. The performances are given to uh, other, you know, art groupies, patrons, hangers-on. After the performances, those people are invited to have sex with the performers (laughs) in backstage orgies. the leader of the group is a woman named LDL. LDL. Clever. Clever. A, a joke I did not get Clever until joke. You, you explained it to me. LDL is the is the bad, bad cholesterol. cholesterol. Okay. Uh, LDL is played by a woman named Fatma Mohammed. Fatma Mohammed is in every Peter, Strick, Peter Strickland film. Think of her the way you think of. Rossi De Palma in Almodovar films, or Penelope Cruz in Almodovar films, or Divine in a John Waters film. She's the muse. She is the the peanut butter and marmite on Peter Strickland's toast. <laughs> Her presence, even if she has a is a tiny role in a Peter Strickland film. Her presence is like. Your head is made of metal and she is the magnet because you can only look at her and what she's doing. In in fabric, she's the uh, the witchy saleswoman who speaks in really ornate salesman vocabulary and who is also the leader of a coven that forces people to come shop at the store where the murder dresses are sold. <laughs> As you do. In Duke of Burgundy, she's the carpenter who makes the sex coffins. <laughs> In this movie, she's the leader of the art group, uh, the food art group, and she is imperious. She is no holds barred, the boss of everybody. In my review that I wrote for the rap, I compared her to Mark E. Smith of The Fall, who legendarily fired over 60 band members of the fall over his lifetime. He wanted it his way. So LDL wants it her way, and she gets it her way in a food performance, which involves uh, uh, the amplifying of uh, knives and vegetables and the chopping and the cooking and the frying all becomes this industrial noise performance. While she herself does vocals and covers herself with foods in a in one particular scene that absolutely was taken from Diamanda Galas's Plague Mass. The art references here are fast and furious, uh, not just from the title, which references the Fluxus group, um, 
but you're you want to you I can hear you wanting to chime in and say something, so do it. No, I just had a question. When you talk about how they they're amplifying the cooking sounds and turning it into industrial noise, who was that band that would take a medical like surgery sounds and stuff and put it into into music? They put out an uh, album called "The Chance to Cut Is a Chance to Cure." Oh, Matmos. Matmos. Matmos did that. Yeah. Uh, you know, she's a Viennese actionism member. You know what I mean? Like, that is who this woman is. And she bosses her colleagues around. Her colleagues are played by uh, Asa Butterfield, who is a young man with an egg fetish. Okay. See the movie and you'll understand that. And uh, Ariane John Waters, <laughs> Ariane Labette. Well, yeah, I mean, like, there's that's a kind of a sly reference to this. Uh, Ariane Labette, who was in the uh, Yorgos Lanthimos film Alps, probably his least seen film, yeah, in uh, the U.S. anyway. But it is, you know, her presence and the presence of uh, an actor named Makis Papadimitriou is another sort of point of reference to. The whole Greek weird wave that has happened in the past, you know, 15 years. Right. So Maki's Papa Dimitrio plays a man named Stones. Stones is the in-house documentarian of the groups. And he has an upset stomach. And he is misdiagnosed and he has terrible gas. He, he farts constantly and he's constantly doing the best he can to hold it in. And that is not a joke. Right. In the movie, it is the, co- the, 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 the counterpoint to the art food group. This is a man with severe gastrointestinal distress, misdiagnosed, undiagnosed. You find out at the end what's causing the problem. But it's not a fart joke. It's a metaphor. Yeah. As the film progresses, the infighting in the group grows the interactions with the with the patron and the groupies become more and more fraught and stones becomes more and more immersed in their world even though he doesn't want to be because he is in such pain all the time he is the narrator of the film as well so you see it all through his eyes and he is the the moving humane focal point at the end it is less a satire of the art world, and I don't really think it's a satire of the art world at all, because uh, Peter Strickland is part of this world. You know, like he's an art filmmaker. He was himself in a musical noise group called Sonic Catering. He can't possibly be, you know, ishing where he eats because this is his life. So what is really going on here is a story about the artistic process and how it can be compromised and misunderstood and, you know, not uh, uh, developed in the way that the people who are developing it really want. And it's also about a, a person who lives for this stuff but knows he's disconnected and his journey through a deeply distressing situation that eventually comes to some, you know, quite emotionally satisfying end. Mm. Mm. I love this movie. I love all the Peter Strickland movies. 
It's on demand. It's it is, streaming. It is streaming. It's in art in house the US. theaters. It's in art house theaters in the U.S. It's also in. It's also streaming. So, however you want to see it, if you you know are near an art house theater showing Flux Gourmet, uh, you know, get yourself to a streaming a streaming platform. Uh, there's some pretty gross stuff in here too. <laughs> Just FYI. You don't say. Yeah. I think any time, any art film about food can't help itself. <laughs> Cook to thief his wife and her lover. And, it, you know, the gross stuff is a bit of trickery as well, which you'll see in the mm. film. So, you know, uh, it's not that gross, okay. ultimately. No, I love it. I love it. Watch uh, it. See it. Somebody somebody loves us. We have a five-star review. Oh, do they? Yes. Leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. We will read it on the program. We'll see about that. Where is the yes, five-star we will. review? In your inbox. Um, your beautiful, empty inbox. Stuff is neat is the name of the person. Hmm. And, and stuff is neat. You're right. Uh, linoleum knife. Is a warm, rumbly ear hug. <laughs> I found this show years ago from the now defunct Pop Rocket. Ah. R.I.P. Pop Rocket. We love you forever. Indeed. Listen to Waiting to Exhale, by the way. Yes. The uh, the outgrowth of Pop Rocket, Winter and Karen went mm-hmm. on to do that show. From the now defunct Pop Rocket and remain ever grateful. The banter is charming and the film criticism is insightful. Oh. David and Alonzo are a constant joy. Must listen for every film lover. Well, thank you, Stuff is Neat. We think you're neat. We do. And also, you are stuff. Aren't we all? Ashley says, Oh, so many things to say. Margot and Felix both just turned two and seven. Aren't we supposed to watch Chippendale Rescue Rangers? For we them? are. We need to okay. do that. Yes. We and, haven't forgotten. I mean, we did forget, and but we, I, we'll remember. And I've seen it. it pop up on somebody's top five of the year okay. so far on Twitter. Too, All right. So. We're going to get to it. We will. Uh, for their birthday, we took them to the movie theater for Felix's first and Margot's second time. Thank you, AMC, for having uh, an 11 a.m. showing of Lightyear where there were only three other people in a 110-seat theater oh, nice. so that we could sit far away and not breathe too much of other people's air. Felix ate a lot of an enormous bucket of popcorn. <laughs> the movie was very boring, but Margot loved it anyway. <laughs> so did Felix, but the whole experience was overwhelming. COVID baby. <laughs> and tremendously exciting. He kept getting up and sticking his face between the seats to stare at the screen because I think his mind was exploding. All this to say, for the first time in my life, I was the lady who kept having to shush her child. <laughs> Not Margot. She's a unicorn. <laughs> and then ended up walking him around in front of the theater where he finally just fell asleep and I watched the last half hour with him, passed out in my lap. Anyway, we have to socialize our COVID children back into the theater. So sorry, three other people who had to listen to his weird, loud commentary about space in the moments before I took him outside. It was very funny to me, very funny to me, but probably annoying to people that are not his mom. (laughs) 
Uh, Billy, Jack, Billy Jack says, Ashley would have been much happier walking Felix around the lobby for 45 minutes if the AMC bar had opened earlier. <laughs> they should expect anyone that takes a two-year-old to a movie will pay any amount of money for a beer, even at 11 a.m. <laughs> that should be a special at MacGuffin's. <laughs> uh, Gary. Not friend and neighbor Gary, but... Other oh, Gary. Other Gary. Gary with two R's. Mm. Gary. A couple of weeks ago, you mentioned the website Vinegar Syndrome. Yes. In relation to their partner label release of other music from Factory 25. I'm a huge fan of the films that Vinegar Syndrome releases. I thought I'd put together a top ten list for you to knife. The way folks unfamiliar with the site, that way folks unfamiliar with the site would have some movies to check out. Uh, in no particular order... Surf 2, Oof. a surf sex comedy starring Eddie Deason. There is no Surf 1. There is I no have, Surf 1. I have never seen Surf 2. Have you seen Surf 2? I have two? seen Surf 2. Is it contemporary? Is it vintage? It's what? 80s. It's from the 80s? I think, yeah. It's and it, it's The heyday of Eddie Deason. Indeed, who's really turned out to be a piece of work. Yeah, um, I, know. I know. It uh, It is trying to be a parody of a bad movie, and it's just kind of a bad oh, movie, okay. I think. But, you know. That's just me. The Severed Arm. A don't 70s whodunit revenge movie. That sounds fun. Ooh, don't you know, know it. I, I love a severed arm. And a whodunit. Taking Tiger Mountain. Experimental propaganda film starring Bill Paxton. Mm. Thumb up. Tammy and the T-Rex. Oh, that's a weird one. Bonkers movie where Paul Walker's brain is put into the body of a T-Rex. Yes. <laughs> and Denise Richards is Tammy. Bloodbeat. A Christmas movie, Alonzo. What? Where a Midwestern town and family get attacked by a samurai. How is this not in my you life? You better get on it. Clearly. Dolly Dearest. Do you like Child's Play? Who doesn't? Then this movie's for you. It's also set in Mexico and Rip Torn had a Mexican accent sometimes. That's weird. weird. Jack Frost. Oh, God. Remember that? Yes. Didn't you love that? It's in my book. Jack Frost, not the one with Michael Keaton. No. This is the one about the killer snowman. It's yes. from the 90s. With Shannon Elizabeth. It's great. Bloody New Year. A group of friends find themselves stuck on an island where it's always New Year's Eve. <laughs> Something is out for blood. I, that sounds good, too. Let my puppets come. <laughs> uh... Think Meet the Feebles meets Happy Time Murders. It's an adult film satire with puppets. Oh, my. Uh, Unmasked, part 25, Friday the 13th, meta-commentary, meta-commentary set in the UK. I, I confess that I've only seen a few of these, but you're getting a 100% knife because all of them sound uh, great. You're getting 95 because I, I can't. I can't endorse the surf too, but All beyond right. that, sure. Uh, and I would say if you're to recommend a, a vinegar syndrome release, they did the restoration and reissue of Arthur Bresson's buddies, yes. which is the first uh, feature film about uh, AIDS. And yeah. it has aged really well and it is uh, moving and funny and passionate. And uh, I had, it's a movie I knew existed, uh, but never got to see for a very long time. And thanks to Vinegar Syndrome's restoration, I got to. And so I recommend it. Andrew says, I'm so glad that a commenter asked the question about going to the movies alone. Mm -hmm. Dave, I agree with you 100%. 
Although I love seeing movies with great friends, there are times in which either my friends are unavailable to see the movie, don't want to see the movie, then I go to the movies, or I go to the movie on a last-minute whim, or I simply just want to be alone. When I was in high school, if my friends were unavailable, I would drive a half hour away to the next town, <laughs> because even back then I knew the stigma of going to the movies alone. Some of my best high school memories were seeing movies by myself Friday nights. It helped me escape from people and the BS high school drama many of us encountered during our adolescence. Although I especially love seeing horror films and comedies with friends, many of my friends are now married with children and when they're free, it's usually only to see Pixar or Marvel movies. I have a few horror and art house film friends, but they're not always available. One great memory I have is driving 50 minutes away to the AMC multiplex in Barrington, Illinois, that was showing the nearest screening of The Killing of a Sacred Deer. <laughs> An effed up but great movie. I will never forget this experience because the theater was packed full of people seeing a movie by themselves. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. Uh, so, y'all, uh, we have a Patreon, and here's how it works. Yes. Um, you go to patreon.com slash linoleumknife. There are tiers of subscription. With each one of those tiers, you get a different level of content you get. A podcast called Linoleum Knife presents more Linoleum Knife, where we watch an old movie and we tell you all about it. Sometimes they're great movies. Sometimes they're not so great movies. Sometimes they're strange, odd curiosities that are not good at all, but that we are fascinated by nevertheless. For example, the most recent one is the film Almost Summer from 1978, in which a bunch of 32-year-old actors played eight, played play <laughs> 16-year-old students. high school students. Uh, there's a show called LKTV, which is about us talking about the TV shows we're watching. Uh, there's a show called Linoleum Knife and Fork, where we talk about all the foods that I am cooking when we are recording this program, although I'm not <laughs> cooking anything today. I'm about to get a burger from Irv's Burgers. Uh, but there's a, there's a scintillating conversation going on right now about the varieties of vinegar, some that I have and some that I don't have yet, but that I need. How's that for a selling point? <laughs> you need them. Yeah. Uh, there's a show called Linoleum Nights. Nights, where we finally unleash the swears and we talk about anything we want. Sometimes current events, sometimes current events are too much of a bummer, and we talk about music. Sometimes we have episodes where people ask us anything, and we decide if we're going to answer those questions or not. <laughs> and that's what happens at patreon.com slash knife. Go to it right now. If you're wanting to buy it, we are selling it. There you go. Yeah. Uh, you know what? And, and speaking of buddies, I'm going to make a quick recommendation. Uh, they, there was a, a, a really great queer film lineup that was happening on uh, on Criterion Channel in June and a lot of it is still there and I want to point people to John Grayson's Zero Patience <laughs> which is an AIDS musical yep. from the early 90s sure is and uh, a movie that I was gaga for when it came out and I watched it again recently worried that it might not hold up and it's still nuts it is still in nuts in the best way and did you see it in a theater? oh yeah yeah so did I it, it is a swing for the fences movie, and yeah. it is absolutely of a piece with everything it's wanting to do. And I really admire it, and the songs are stuck in my head all over again. The songs did not get stuck in my head. I don't think they're great songs, but they go for it anyway. Yeah. yeah. They're, well, they're show tunes, which is not your bag. Mm -hmm. um, anyway, so if you've, if you've never seen this movie, if you've never heard of this movie... 
check out Zero Patience on Criterion Channel. It is real 90s in a lot of ways. <laughs> but yeah. I understand the kids think yeah. that's adorable now. So yeah. great. Enjoy. Um, thanks for listening, everybody. Again, you can leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts where you can subscribe for free. We will read it on the show. You can also leave positive feedback in the many places that we stream, including uh, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, CastBox, Podbean. Google Play, Amazon Music, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, thank you, Blue, for our wonderful theme music. Check his stuff out at blue b l e u including a new vinyl reissue for the 20th anniversary of his brilliant album Redhead, which I'm very excited about. Um, you can uh, drop us a line at linoleumpodcast at gmail.com. You can follow us on the socials at linoleumcast on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And we'll be back next time with more. Until then, goodbye. <laughs>